Welcome to another episode of the Let's Sip Podcast, the podcast we pontificate on all things craft beer. We pontificate, but we also ideate, we also contemplate, and sometimes circumnavigate, but we never play or hate or deviate. I am your host, Brandon E. Gaylor, and no sooner was I looking to record another episode of the podcast and I was thinking there wasn't a lot of news to discuss for this week. It was just announced that Ballast Point is closing down their Chicago Brew Pub. Now, if you recall, Ballast Point was recently picked up by Kings and Convicts. I believe that occurred in 2019, was it last year, or maybe late 2018, but they are now owned by Kings and Convicts, which is a brewery out of a suburb uh, north of Chicago called Highwood, but Ballast Point is shutting down their Chicago location, and that will be effective October 24th. So unfortunately, it's not great news, and it looks like it's going to affect jobs, especially during the state of affairs here uh, in uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, It's not great news, but yeah, Ballast Point just announced that they will be shutting down the Chicago Brew Pub on the 24th. Now, they are claiming that the COVID-19 is the reason why they are shutting down. Um... They're impacted with limited capacity, and uh, their ability to generate revenue has taken a hit. So that is the reason why they're shutting down, according to what they said on Twitter. Now, the Chicago Brew Pub has been an interesting endeavor since it started. Um... It's. It always looked like there was just some reason. There was just some. Uh, it was just interesting, I guess I could say. I think this was last year that I noted that. What happened to walk by, on a, I believe it was a weekend. I think I posted something to my Instagram page at the time, but I'd walked by and there was like nobody in there. It was like 8 p.m dinner time on a Saturday and the place was empty so I always kind of thought they were having some difficulties getting people in and perhaps maybe that is part of the reason why they are shutting down they had also shut down the brew pub for a time uh, earlier this year around I believe it was in March and then they reopened in April for something to do with their liquor license for one and then second um, uh, they wanted to revamp their menu and kind of uh, come out with a refresh is what they called it so uh, at that point in time even in April and March it, it, you know the pandemic was kind of just starting but still I think they were already kind of seeing that the place was struggling along maybe it's just the way they approach things uh for one of course uh, i think i've discussed this previously but 
uh, Ballast Point was completely mismanaged by Constellation Brands, who had purchased them for a whopping $1 billion and then did not know how to uh, correctly manage a craft brewery and didn't bother to try or really learn how, even after paying such an enormous sum for the craft brewery, they, they just kind of left it to uh, start to decay a little bit. So Ballast Point has hurt for a while because of that. So Kings and Convicts definitely picked them up for a steal when they bought them. Or so it seemed, because now it's perhaps looking like it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle, especially with the pandemic and everything. Uh, at the time, I, I would have said that Kings and Convicts made a great move by picking them up, and I think I did say that at the time. I thought it was a, a great deal. They got a bargain. But now since this pandemic is hitting, they're, they're definitely um, feeling, I think, that extra burden of having this brand to manage. And maybe they're feeling a little bit of that effects, unfortunately. But I, th I think there's still a lot of promise for Ballast Point. Um, Ballast Point makes great beer. Uh, I don't think that's probably going to change, especially since, like, there's certain... So there's, still a lot of the talent in Ballast Point that was there anyhow. Uh, I think they're still just kind of operating as their own model. From what I read in this article, uh, the message came from Ballast Point itself, not from Kings and Convicts, so I think they're still kind of operating independently on a day-to-day -day basis. And so, while they're saying that the, I'm sure COVID did not help matters with the Chicago Brew Pub, but at the end of the day, I think uh, it was going to happen regardless, and the, the place had just suffered since it had opened originally. Uh, part of the reason being, also, besides just mismanagement from the previous owner's, previous owner's constellation, but also because there was just so much competition in Chicago already with the local brewery scene there as it was. And Ballast Point would sell okay in the stores and packaging, of course, but it's it's a tougher sell to have people come out to your brew pub when they have they might have plenty of, uh, a brewery or more uh, closer to where they actually live and can get um, just as high quality beer there and not have to travel to this Ballast Point brew pub. Perhaps it also has something to do with just the fact that. They also tried to open this brew pub, which had a full-on kitchen in the midst of a great restaurant scene already on the West Loop area of Chicago uh, near Fulton Market and, and Randolph Street. Uh, it was already such a huge place for great cuisine. I mean, you got Stephanie Izzard's restaurants from, uh, I believe she was on Top Chef uh, she's got the girl and the goat and all the goat restaurants in the area. And just, there's just so many popular restaurants and so much competition already for great food. So opening a full-on kitchen was, uh, it was going to be uh, a bit of a challenge anyway. Um, it's all in hindsight now, of course, but perhaps I would have looked at doing something a little bit different with that model. Um. Uh, Maybe I think that's something more breweries should actually look for. 
Uh, and uh, they, they work actually a brew pub because they did have a pilot, small pilot system there that they were brewing small batch stuff on. I had visited there once and tried one of the beers they had on at the time. I think I might have talked about it in one of the episodes on here. I think that was the, that was the same day that I made the trip um, up to... Oh, now I'm... I can't believe I'm losing my mind, but... Uh, one of the more popular beer, uh, beer venues in Chicago is a restaurant, and I... I'm blanking on the name at the moment for some reason. But, oh yeah, they had a pilot system, so they could be considered a brew pub and not um, and not just like a gastro pub. So they actually brewed small batches there, but uh, I think they would have benefited more if they had just focused on making it a tap room. They could have had the, the pilot system and been brewing there. But just have the tap room and just do the beer. Just focus on the beer. Don't focus on putting in this kitchen and trying to compete on that end. Um, yeah, and I think more, like I said, I think more breweries should look at that model. It doesn't always have to be uh, a kitchen when they open it up. You know, the tap room model is fine too. Uh, it doesn't always have to be a brew pub. Of course, the difference there is tap room is just beer from the source, and a brew pub usually has a kitchen with food. But you can do food trucks, and you can outsource food and do things like that. Um, and ironically, that's more of the model now with the pandemic as it is, but um, it'll, it'll remain to be seen how things pay out once this passes if and when it passes and we get back to business as usual but like i said uh people should uh i think breweries should look more at keeping a taproom model alive and not always jumping into a kitchen head first especially if they are uh trying to gain footing or uh don't don't want to gamble a lot of capital away on trying to do food as well but, uh, you know, that's hindsight, and that's just my thoughts. But, yeah, Ballast Point closing their Chicago brew pub. So it says it's quote-unquote indefinite. So I don't know if one day they might reopen up, but uh, time will tell. But that is the hot news of the moment. And if that wasn't enough bad news for you, it looks like there is a can shortage in the good old U.S. of A. Um, Ball Corporation, who makes aluminum cans, is reporting that they are about 10 billion cans short this year. And that amounts to about 9% of... 2019's sales so um, you could look I guess you could estimate and kind of round up and say that uh, 100 billion cans were used last year um, and this brings up an interesting notion that I didn't think of before with the pandemic going on and lots of uh, bars and restaurants being closed and a lot of tap rooms being closed, 
breweries aren't putting, aren't packaging their beer into kegs because kegs aren't being sold that much or maybe not at all. I mean, uh, for some restaurants and stuff are probably still open, so maybe they're selling a little bit. I'm sure some of the bigger breweries not really thinking about macro breweries because, of course, they're fine. But some of the bigger craft players might be still selling some kegs, but I'm sure it's still a lot less in keg being consumed anyhow. So I'm sure there's a lot of less kegs being sold. But, uh, you know, these smaller breweries, they're not going to bother putting any of this beer into kegs because kegs are not being sold. So they are putting all of that beer that would usually go into a keg into cans, which makes sense um, and which is contributing to this can shortage. So I don't even think this might not even be so much a, you know, pandemic problem. There might be slight problem maybe if production production lines were affected, but I think this has a lot to do with the fact that all these breweries are putting this product into cans where they used to go to kegs. And kegs are so large, especially if they are a half barrel, which uh, in layman's terms is a full-size keg. Uh, a barrel of beer is technically two full-size kegs. So a half barrel is a full-size keg. It's... Um, oh boy, now I'm, now I'm losing my mind. What is going on? Um, I can't remember how many gallons a keg is. Why can't I remember that? That's weird. Um, but a full-size keg is about a hundred and something 12-ounce beers. So that is a lot more can usage per keg. Or, or that's a lot more cans being used just in general when kegs are not being used. Man, my brain is going funky today. I can't remember some basic info that I used to remember with ease, but that's how it goes, I guess. So, um, long story short, I don't really think this is affecting things too much this year, even though there is a lot more cans being used and a lot more product being sold, at least packaged alcohol being sold. I I think it's still quite a shortfall as to what has been sold in years prior. So right now I don't think, I don't think anybody has any beer sitting in lines that, that they can't package because they have no cans. I don't think it's anything like that. Whether it might hurt future orders or something like that, or what, what if you're looking to order uh, aluminum now for whatever they have coming down the line, that might be a problem, but I don't think uh, it may lead to bigger concerns in the future, but right now I don't think it's going to hurt anything in the short term. But that is just my prediction based just on a feeling I have and really no sort of science whatsoever. So take that as you will. So amber is not merely a, the color of my energy, according to the band 311. But amber is also a type of ale. Now, I don't know if anybody else has noticed this in other regions, but in the Midwest, amber ales were quite popular. Uh, people 
were really into them. There was one customer who might come in and pick up a case at a time. Uh, but it just seemed like uh, people had an affinity for them. Usually it was kind of the older gentleman, at least in the particular store I worked in, the liquor store I worked in. Uh, but I think this has something to do with accessibility. It offers more flavor, but it's not a lot of overpowering hoppiness for anybody that doesn't really like a lot of hops. I believe that even Fat Tire is considered an amber ale, but... Um, well, I haven't had a Fat Tire in a while, but I'm not quite sure I would agree with that. Uh, that's description. But I don't make the beer, so who am I to say? But uh, what Amber Ales are really kind of supposed to be are a replacement for... Uh, the English Pale Ale, or uh, English-style bitter. But I'm not even sure I full-heartedly agree with that approximation either. I think there's just subtle differences between, like, an ESB and an Amber Ale. Um, for one, I think there's probably a difference in the hops. You're going to find more of uh, a West Coast-style hop, or... Um, of course, uh, hops that you are more commonly found in the Americas when you're looking at an amber ale. Like I said, there's just a uh, there's just a little more there's there's just a, there, uh, the difference. There's a little more bit balance in the malts and the hops. There's um, like I said, there's that flavor. There's that uh, um more flavorful, a little bit darker, a little more caramely malt in there. And there's gonna it's gonna be a little bit hoppier, but it's not gonna be so hoppy that it's gonna be considered more of a IPA or anything like that. Very low accessible IBUs. Now I was looking at one site that stated that an amber ale is the same thing as a red ale. You could use the terms interchangeably. And I believe that is incorrect. Um, factually, perhaps it's not, but I believe it is. I just also don't agree with that approximation either. And so I decided to go to one of the experts on the source of an Irish-style ale or an Irish red ale. That would be Great Lakes Brewing, because Great Lakes has um, their Conway's Irish Ale, which is probably one of the more popular Irish red ales that you can find. So when I think of an Irish red ale, that's is from a you know a relatively popular brewery, at least what from what I've experienced in the Midwest, I think Great Lakes Great Lakes' option is pretty much one of the only ones I can think of. Of course there's Smittix, but that's more of a macro beer and they're owned by a big conglomerate. Uh, they're owned by uh, they're owned by Guinness. So 
So, but when you're talking like a craft style Irish red, Great Lakes is the one that kind of comes to mind above many others. Uh, apparently doing a Google search just moments ago, uh, Boulevard Brewing makes an Irish red. But I don't even know if they package that. And if they do, I had never seen that in the Midwest. So maybe that's more of a Kansas City type of thing. But what is the difference between a red ale and an amber ale? Well, the Irish ale came about because... Ireland's climate is a is different is a difference um, it makes it's tougher to grow hops in Ireland due to cool year-round temperatures so according to Great Lakes' site Irish beers often had to be flavored with imported Flemish hops which were cheap at the time so in 1733, a ban on such imports forced Irish brewers to purchase more expensive hops from England. Made things tough on the economically strapped brewers, so sometimes they'd skip hops altogether and use indigenous herbs, a la the Groots of old. So, brewers adapted by roasting malts um, instead of uh, they roasted malts instead of using more expensive malts and hops that would come from other countries so their tech uh, quote according to the site technical advancements in 19th century malting helped create the very intense black patent malt which allowed irish brewers to make more beer with much less malt at a significantly lower cost irish brewers applied the innovations to produce their take on british bitters a style that was lighter refreshing and widely popular during the latter part of the 19th century. The Irish Dry Stout was the household name. But they sought their own full-flavored, yet light and drinkable beer. So the Irish Dry Stout was always a uh, keen option. And uh, yeah, Irish Dry Stout is amazing. If you can find a really good one, it's like 4% ABV. So much flavor and you can just crush that pretty much... You can have several of those. I mean, you could almost consider that to be like a sessionable stout. And, you know, you could have quite a few of those and not be totally wrecked. So, yeah, Irish Dry Stout is amazing. Like I said, they wanted something a little bit lighter, a little more drinkable. So instead of using more expensive caramel malts, it's typically used in a British bitter. They used their roasted barley to achieve the color and flavor they were looking for. It all resulted in a reddish-hued beer with a pleasant roasted malt flavor and quenchingly dry finish. So there you have it. Um, an Irish red ale uh, is going to be definitely more reddish in color. An amber ale usually comes out a little more brownish color little more caramel-esque. Uh, Irish red ale should definitely have more of a reddish hue towards it. 
and it's that roasted barley that makes all the difference. That's where you're finding the big difference between the amber ale and the Irish style ale. Uh, so I don't think they, I think they two, the two differ. They are not the same type of beer whatsoever. Um, and the Irish red ale has that roasted barley. And that definitely comes through. And how do I know that the roasted barley comes through? Well, that's a perfect way to segue to the beer I recently had. Uh, I found another Irish red ale, and I couldn't remember the last time I had an Irish red ale. But High Sign Brewing out of Austin, Texas, makes an Irish red ale. It is called Seamus the Fiddler. This was a 12-ounce can. Unfortunately, there was no date whatsoever on the bottom of the can. But I thought I, thought I was going to be okay because I wasn't expecting a lot of hop forwardness on the beer. And uh, it didn't taste any oldness to it. There was no papery aftertaste, so I think I was fine. Uh, I, I risked it since I wasn't expecting a big hop bill. But uh, they call this a smooth Irish red with a slightly toasted aroma and caramel malt finish. And I do, I do have to concur. The Seamus the Fiddler was a solid Irish red from what I could even remember. It's been forever since I had this style of beer. But at 5.2%, I found it uh, tasty. And uh, it was great for a nice change of pace on a slightly cooler night. It uh, was quite quenching. And I loved noting the, the hints of that darker barley in there, or those darker malts and that slightly toasted aroma. They're talking about maybe a little bit of dark chocolate-esque, slightly coffee-esque, just barely in there. Uh, nice on the aroma, a little bit of a taste, but not enough to overdo it on your palate so you're not getting tired drinking it. Uh, so Seamus the Fiddler Irish Red was a really solid beer. Uh, that was my first from High Sign Brewing. They're out of Austin, Texas. Apparently their tap room and patio are open. You can also order beer to go. They got their menus and directions right front and center on the website when you go and take a look. And they are um, accepting online ordering from like 12 to 8 daily. So you can definitely grab some beer that way or uh, look at your local store. I picked this up in a single can like I usually do for my night sipping. And... Um, yeah, I was very much impressed with the Seamus the Fiddler from High Sign Brewing and definitely looking forward to checking out more of what High Sign had to, has to offer. Apparently they recently did a collaboration with Other Half Brewing out of uh, NYC, but of course that was sold out and it probably sold out very quickly. But... It'll be interesting to get to try something else from them. I thought the Seamus the Fiddler was very good, and I was happy to be able to test out the Irish red style once again. It had been a long time, if maybe if I even ever had, really, an Irish red. I'm sure I have, but it could have been a very, very long time ago. 
but I should not sleep on that style, and this was a good reminder of that. Now to segue to something a little bit more uh, adult, uh, make sure the kids have earmuffs on if, if you got the kids around, because we are going to talk about my chub. Okay, I let that sink in for a minute. No, no, all right. I'm talking about, yes, Oscar Blues's old chub. And uh, the same night that I had the Seamus the Fiddler, I also picked up a can of Oscar Blues's old chub. Now, it had been a long time since I've had this beer, and I know I've had this beer before. Uh, at least a few times, but I don't know if I've even had it since they changed the can design. The can design used to be kind of a green with a little bit of gray in the center uh, around the logo and the name of the beer. Um, they redesigned the can, which is, has a little bit more colorful. It's kind of a flannel-esque pattern on the can. I believe the can was dated around a June or July. I think it was July. But uh, the old chub being a Scotch ale, I was not concerned about the hop bill so much because it's not a big hop forward beer. And uh, there's a higher ABV on that guy, so I was pretty certain I was going to be okay. So it was only a little over two months old or three months old. I knew I was still going to be all right. Uh, but I knew old put or old chub packed a little bit of a punch, but I had forgotten that it's an 8.0% ABV. And uh, that's, that also is a reminder that I think they, the six-pack of cans uh, usually costs about a dollar or more than like a standard six-pack. If you say a standard six-pack of a craft beer is $9.99, maybe these days is, these prices have gone up somewhat, but you could get like a one of the larger mass, more from the, one of the bigger breweries per capita, uh, you can usually get a six-pack for $9.99. Usually the other Oscar Blues' beers, like their Dale's Pale Ale, is $9.99. But the old chub was $10.99, and that makes sense with the higher ABV, but I had forgotten that it was such a high ABV at 8.0%. It packs a little bit of a wallop. And Scotch ales are not my favorite style of beer. Um, they are kind of a sipper, kind of something I would also um, consider like a winter warmer sort of just a uh, just a kind of a drink one and done to be certain and the bottom of the can not only had a date on there but it also uh, Oscar Blues usually prints some kind of message on the can and this can was no exception it said chub rub so that got uh, a thumbs up of approval from this guy who usually likes to keep his at least part of his brain, somewhere in the gutter. But, yeah, I sipped on this uh, uh, old chub once again, and just very, yeah, I always found a Scotch Ale to be a little bit more boozy than something I could drink a lot of. 
I like to go and revisit a Scotch Ale every now and then just to keep my palate fresh and remind myself how it tastes. But Scotch Ales just are, they, they're just a little too close to more of like a boozy style taste to me. And that's not what I'm looking for when I'm drinking beer. I like beer for beer's sake. and um, I know people love spirits and they drink spirits. A lot of people taste spirits like I taste craft beer. Uh, but I just don't get those nuances from uh, spirits as much. And I, I don't like that heavier, um, almost kind of like a syrupy taste. Don't not so big of a fan of more of a f- uh, alcohol forward taste. And I think that comes through on a scotch ale and in that per- particular malt bill. But it was nice to revisit the old Shub again. And Oscar Blues it has a Austin facility now. I think they've had it for a few years. So it's kind of is somewhat a local beer. But... They were originally out of Colorado, and I do believe they have another facility in North Carolina, uh, and they distribute their beer in several states. I knew them from Chicago, so that's how I, was, of course, was familiar with them, and you can find their beer in many different states. So, yeah, if you are a fan of Scotch Ales, if you've never tried an Old Chub, I mean, by all means, grab it when you find it, if you if I, you have Oscar Blues at your local grocery store or liquor store or wherever you buy your product, definitely pick up some Old Chub. Um, yeah, it's definitely worth it for a, a $10.99. is a very reasonable price, if it still is that, for a six-pack. Uh, definitely give Old Chub a try if you like Scotch Ales and if you had not. And even if you have already had it and it's been a while, I would recommend revisiting. Oscar Blues is still doing cool stuff and making quality product and I'm hoping I could find maybe a maybe the Oscar Blues will come out with something new here soon. I could try another IPA from them or something. That would be pretty nice. That will do it for this episode of the Let's Sip podcast. I'm your host Brandon E. Gaylor. Podcast theme music composed by Brandon E. Gaylor. Special thanks to Anchor.fm for hosting the podcast. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Let's Sip Podcast. Thank you very much for sipping with us, and we'll drink with you again next time. Bye-bye.